Welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. This week, we're discussing barbecuing, how to be propane in and out of the kitchen. And that's terrible. I apologize for that now. Um, with me today is, is another Josh, um, and, and someone who is, uh, I, I'm Australian and we're considered to be British Texans, and we've got an actual British person this time, or, or English. I, I, I'm confused. Um, Josh, who, who are you and what have you done? Hi, yeah, so I'm Josh Fox. Um, I am one half of Black Armada Games with my um, partner, Becky. And uh, I have written with her Lovecraft Desk and uh, more recently Flotsam Adrift Amongst the Stars. And I now have Last Fleet on Kickstarter. Excellent. Um, and you, to kind of maybe give people a little bit of a spoiler, your, your Kickstarter has already hit basic funding. Yep. In fact, it's hit its first stretch goal. So oh, excellent. I, I yeah. haven't seen that. What was the first stretch goal? So we have got Gav Thorpe. I don't know if you've come across Gav. I, yes. <laughs> well yeah, yeah, done. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So he's, uh, I, for I those was, who I might not a, know. Yeah. Sorry. I was about to say, I was, I was a Space Wolf player. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So he's, oh, I, uh, he, he, for those who might not know, he's um, a, a Games Workshop veteran. Uh, when I was a teenager, he was writing uh, for like mainstream Games Workshop products, and I was a big Games Workshop fan. So I was kind of like um, very excited to have him on board. But I, I think he's probably now more famous for being a New York Times bestseller and David Gemmell award winner. And he's writing an alternate setting for the game, uh, which looks pretty exciting. So yeah, that's Good. excellent. Yeah, I, I was I was a um, I, I was quite a, a, a Warhammer 40k fan in my teenage years, as I suspect a lot of us were, or at least quite a few people I've yeah. been speaking on here. They're like, oh yeah, Warhammer 40k. Um, for I'm, sure, for sure, and it's a big influence on me. To be honest, uh, I, I love the, the, that world. I, I was going to say no. Yeah, you know, you've got these ships in space with this unknown alien threat coming through. You know, there's. The, the, the genetic harvesting and whatnot. No, that doesn't sound like you know, they're stealing anyone's genes at all. No, not at all. <laughs> right, totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so please tell us more about the world of um, Last Fleet. Sure. So um, the big inspiration for Last Fleet is Battlestar Galactica. So if you think of it as being um, Battlestar Galactica, you're, you're pretty close. Um, you're, uh, it's a world where... An inhuman alien foe has destroyed human civilization and humanity is on the run uh, on a fleet of ships uh, pursued by this implacable inhuman threat. And uh, so the the game kind of gives you two options. You can either, or three now that Gav is on board, um, you can either kind of use the setting that's in the box or you can make up your own. And the game will give you support to make up your own that will work with the parameters of the game if you want. But the one that's in the box is you're, you're part of the Interplanetary Commonwealth. It's like a small uh, group of planets who had this quite thriving civilization, bit of interplanetary rivalry, bit of kind of... Um, uh, politics and and old feuds from long past wars, kind of like real life, uh, but that's all gone now. Uh, it's been destroyed by the Korax, and the Korax are these extra dimensional. It's an extra dimensional fungus network that lives in the Tenebrium. Okay, so the Tenebrium is basically like the warp 
Um, it's the, the realm through which you travel to travel faster than light. And this fungus network uh, can kind of extrude itself out of uh, tenebrium rifts into our world. They can consume our genetic code. They can consume our psychic imprint and create identical copies of anyone that they capture. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, I, I will confess, I like the idea of um, one of the podcasts I listen to is How We Roll. Um, and I love their Call of Cthulhu stuff because they manage to mix a bit of, you know, the inevitable tabletop silliness in with the inexplicable threat. The, the unknowable enemy, which I, which I like. I, I, I like that as an idea and, and a thing because, and, and I like what you've done because, and you know, I had a quick flick through the rules that you let me have a look at. Um, I like the idea of no matter how far we get into the future, no matter how advanced we get as a society, there is going to be a fear of that unknown thing. The thing that says, I am not like you. I do not play by your rules. I don't work how you think things should work. I am not right. to be classified or explained by you. And and I like that. It's, it's, it's a really good... It, 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 I think, gives the DM something to work with where they don't have to have motivations that make sense to the player characters. And that yeah, can be terrifying. Totally. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of... It's almost Lovecraftian, really, um, that kind of thing. But without the racism, uh, yeah. But without the racism <laughs> yes. and all the rest of it, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but what I mean, what I like about the Korax is they give you that kind of unknowable enemy, but then they give it a human face because you've got your former loved ones, your former friends um, showing up and saying, "Come join us. It's all good. You know, this is it's lovely working for the Korax," um, or lurking in your ranks sabotaging things making it easy for the Korax to catch you so this is someone you can talk to i i do like that and i like um is this the with the guy because you're using the the powered by the apocalypse rules is that correct yeah the, the framework that's right yeah. yeah um if people were running this this actually also gives that scope for potential pvp which is, which is something people can have at their tables you know as, as long as everyone's comfortable um and i think that also sets up the people's sudden motivations outside of what the group's thing is if they're role-playing their character on their character honestly that can lead that can start developing that wonderful paranoia which was actually like one of the keystones of the Battlestar Galactic game to kind of totally, tie that yeah. together yeah and, and that was a big part of so I'm a big fan of the the new series of Battlestar Galactica um, although I hear there's another one on the on the go, so maybe depending on when you're listening to this, it might be the middle one. I don't know. Um, what? But that, yeah, is yeah. Apparently one? there's going to be a, a third. Well, it's not uh, it's not there yet, but I, I'm hearing rumours that it's on the way. Oh, pretty wow. cool. Um, I'm I'm not sure whether it's going to be more like the first one or the second one. Maybe I hear maybe more like the first, but I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, truly this is kind of Hollywood rumour stuff. I mean. It's, yeah, yeah, indeed. Nobody, and nobody makes anything new anymore. Um, so, but the, the the thing I really like about it is the uh, firstly the kind of the high pressure. 
you know, if you watch that first episode of Battlestar Galactica where everyone's every 33 minutes, they're having to jump again because the Cylons have caught up to them. And therefore that feeling of, uh, you know, I'm never going to get any rest. I've always got to be ready for action. Mm. And then secondly, that paranoia of any person, including me, could be working for the enemy without knowing it. That's an interesting thing to do to a player. Mm. How, well, how, so, would you, so the player, how would you do that? Because I'm now legitimately curious. Not that I'm going to do this yeah, to my yeah. player characters, Tyler. I'm certainly not going to do that to you, my, my sweet boy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a this is a choice. The way I do it, I make it a choice. I I have heard of people running games where they spring that kind of thing on a player. I think that's a little bit unfair, unless you have all agreed up front this is on the, on the cards mm. um, to just bring it out of left field. But what I have is um, one particular playbook, the Scorpio playbook, where you you choose it knowing that it means that you're a sleeper agent and you play so if you imagine the sleeper agent some of the time they're just acting like their normal human self they're doing the things that they ought to do they're even trying to protect the fleet they're going to be heroic and then some of the time they're the, they're carrying out the sleeper agent's agenda and in effect you the player play the first half and the gm with the support of the rules plays the second half so every session you'll get to roll some dice and find out what you have been up to un- unconsciously um, and try to stop it. That could also provide the scope of a really, really good one-on-one situation as well. Mm. Yeah. And, that, and, and like that's one of those things that I see um, a lot of people complain about, 5th uh, edition D&D and, and other roleplay games, is like, okay, I can't get half a dozen people to agree to get their scheduling right. Um this gives scope to have something where it's like, look, you and I can sit down and knock something out in a couple of hours. How does that sound? And and I like that, dude. That's really cool. Yeah, I'd I'd really like to see that done. Actually, um, I haven't tried doing it one on one myself, but I obviously the advantage is you've got something to play against um, straight away, and you don't have that kind of. I for me, it makes me feel a bit icky if I feel I'm betraying the other people around the table makes me feel uncomfortable um but what i like about the scorpio playbook is it's it's open everyone knows um and you the, the the bad stuff isn't coming from you the player it's coming from the rules okay that, that that's also good because that does add that level of protection although i mean there, there are certainly tables um i play at one where we're watching some of the characters develop and it's like uh yeah you're gonna turn bad yeah. Um, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm playing in a, um, a troop-style D&D game where we have, like, our main characters and then a bunch of, like, underling or red shirts, and we're starting to, like, make some of the red shirts a bit evil and a bit, you know, probably going to betray you. And then there's a, there's, a, there's a long con, long fuse burning on that, and that's going to be particularly sweet. But that, that's a really cool way of doing it, to say, look, it's not you as a person. It's not you doing this. There is a rules framework here. It also keeps it from getting personal at the table as well. And I think that's exactly. that's that's a really really important thing protection to have in there, and that's yeah man that's really cool. Cool, thank you. No worries. Now um you we've mentioned the playbooks briefly. What are the playbooks? 
So if anyone's not familiar with Powered by the Apocalypse, a playbook is basically like a character archetype, right? Um, so uh, in this game, there's 12 of them, and they match to the 12 signs of the Zodiac. Um, it's just a little nod to the kind of Zodiac thing in Battlestar Galactica. And so each of them, in, in this game, each of them is, a, is basically a personality archetype. So you've got... Uh, Ares is like this kind of hotshot um, rebel type character. Scorpio, obviously, I've mentioned, is the sleeper agent. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got, uh, let me think of some more examples. Gemini is a bit of a kind of wheeler dealer and possible um, sneaky skullduggery type person. Uh, uh, mine's going blank right now. Cancel. Oh, uh, Capri. Uh, yeah, so Cancer is, um, their kind of theme is forgiveness. Um, they're going to kind of let you off for stuff. Um, th this is a character who you want to have alongside badly behaved people like the Gemini. And then they kind of sit there and they like let them off and let them off and let them off and eventually just go, I've had enough of you. Um, I, 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 like, I like the idea of the, um, the Cancer with a, um, a Scorpio. Because then it's like, oh, look, I'm sure you, I'm sure you meant well with what you were doing. And and the Scorpio is like I don't know if I meant well I don't know how this is ending, yeah. but I care about exactly. you so much and I don't want to disappoint you. So the reason the cancer works is because there's so many other playbooks that have some sort of negative side to them. Hmm. Uh, so another one is Capricorn. Capricorn is like um, really awesome leader character who will stop at nothing to protect the human race, and sometimes they go too far. Um, and a lot of their moves revolve around things like collateral damage or just taking things a bit too far. Mm -hmm. And again, that worked really well with the cancer kind of sitting there going, oh, it, it's it's okay. You know, I, I forgive you um, and it, see how far it's going to go before they finally snap. I I like that. That's cool. And uh, and I, I will confess as a Leo, a magnetic individual who people want to follow. Where will they lead them? <laughs> it's like, yeah, this guy's real, real good at like, you know, convincing people. But... I don't think they know where they're going. <laughs> mm, and there's a, there's an option. So you can kind of just play the Leo as a kind of charismatic pilot type, you know. Um, I had in mind, uh, if you mentioned Red Dwarf in our uh, conversations yes. before this, I had in mind a Ace Rimmer and a few of the oh. moves are named after Ace Rimmer type catchphrases. Oh, but dude. you could also... I love that. I know. I, I love this already. <laughs> you just want to play that character. Yeah. Um, or you can play them as like a demagogue. Um, oh, and, right, and right, right, yes. That would they'll be have a group of followers who are maybe going to take the things that they say and run with them, and it goes a bit too far. I, I, I like that already between these archetypes, or, sorry, playbooks. Um, there is that really, really good, like, those fine edges that are going to grind. Mm, and, exactly. and, and and this does seem to be a game that's, that's definitely going to have that player-to-player, -player, not, not necessarily conflict, but tension, a hundred percent is a lot of the uh, moves and and the whole kind of core mechanic of the game is designed to some of the time you're just doing action right you'll be flying around in your uh, fighters or hunting enemy infiltrators or exploring worlds or what have you and in that the interpersonal stuff doesn't come in quite so strongly but when you're in your downtime you're recovering from a mission you have to reach out to other characters. You have to get involved with them socially. And everything is, is designed, like you say, to kind of create friction between the players so that they end up not fighting each other, but 
having, like you said, tension. Yeah. I, I, th- I think tension's great. And, but, but it is one of those things where you've kind of like, and as you just said, like that downtime's like that, that's kind of where the real good stuff happens because what, what I've found with, with playing and, and please tell me if you've found the same kind of thing. Um, it's that downtime where they start to make the world and invest themselves into it. So there's that like added level of vulnerability and investment. And when you start getting that going well, that's, that's where the, that, that is where people start to put themselves into it or get into their own character's heads. And suddenly that character that they thought, oh, you know, I don't know how to get into this person. I mean, for me, this has happened a couple of times where I'm like, I don't know how to play this character very well. And then suddenly we'll have a downtime or there'll just be a moment in relation to another character. And it won't be combat. It won't be we're trying to sneak through something. It's like we're sitting down having breakfast and then suddenly there's a moment and then it's like this is now a real person. No, totally. And I think for me, some of the times that I've most enjoyed uh, role-playing is is indeed like you might be playing a game that's all about investigation or uh, dungeon crawling or whatever and then those moments where you start to actually treat your character as a real person and start getting interested in the other characters who are around your your group and sparks starting to fly and that i really love that stuff and, and this game is designed to make that happen rather than it just happening by accident that's really cool That'd be very good. Yeah, um, and kind of cycling back to something we chatted about, one of the things I liked is that you, in, in one of the things that you've written, you, you pointed out that this is, I mean, the, the, the name Last Fleet, already the name itself suggests a, a level of scarcity, of, of difficulty. And, you know, again, like I was just having a quick flick through the rules, um, or the, sorry, the, the draft access that you let me have a, a read of. Um and as I said to you, it made me feel like something that they'd said when making Red Dwarf. The reason they put them on Starbug is it the danger is more in your face when there is lack, when there is little. When you, I mean, if you had to choose about, you know, between being lost at sea on, say, a fully stocked ocean liner or a dinghy, the dinghy is going to be the inherently scarier more in your face atmosphere especially if you've got like three other people with you because then your like your personal space is kind of taken away from you and then you've got to always be defining yourself against the other players and i really yeah. like that that's a good feeling so and in a way this is a post-apocalyptic game right i mean it, it, when you think post-apocalyptic you're thinking kind of uh cowboys fighting yeah yeah fighting for oil in the desert or whatever um this is a very different kind of post-apocalypse everyone's still there well not everyone but a large number of people will still be there you know you're probably going to have you might have a liner but it's full of people and those people all need food and they need um all, all the things that civilization had that you no longer have and so you are in that kind of scarcity environment and one of the things that you can do with this game if you want to is kind of turning into a resource hunt you know you're going to go and try and mine asteroids or find planets and and dig out the resources that they have to keep the fleet from falling apart excellent 
Um, as far I mean, you, you've cited um, Battlestar Galactica as an influence. Um, you and I have chatted a little about Red Dwarf because it's at the moment, as far as I'm aware, it's the best science fiction comedy ever. Uh, well, up, un- up until season six. Mm-hmm. After that, it's like, yeah, uh, guys, I, I, I think you should have stopped. <laughs> I really like uh, The Orville. Have you have you seen that? I've watched a little bit, a bit of it, of but I, I, found, I found Red Dwarf funnier. Like, season five yeah, of Red Dwarf. Yeah, The Orville's is, not really is, funny. I think that's the problem. I, like, I, I keep I, looking right, at he... Seth, what's his name, and thinking, I can't take you seriously, dude. Hmm. <laughs> That's a, what I have found is that Orville is almost like uh, doing Star Trek better than Star Trek because it's willing to take it a little bit further and, and make it ridiculous. But yeah, no, you're right, you're right. I think on balance, probably Red Dwarf probably wins out. It's a long time since it's been on the telly, though. It's kind of it's starting to feel a bit dated, maybe. Um, anyway, that's the, uh, this is a total tangent we're on, isn't it? <laughs> that's all right. F- favorite episode of Red Dwarf? Yeah, yeah. Throw it out. Um, I love the uh, the one with the the echoes, um, where they're seeing their own future. Yeah. Uh, the cat sees himself uh, breaking his tooth, and um, uh, Rimmer sees like conversations, and then like lives through them twice. Do you remember? Do you remember the one? Yeah, I mean? yeah, future echoes. Yeah. I, I do Future remember the one, yeah. There you go. This really yeah. good-looking guy came by yelling about his tooth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd say Inquisitor or Hollow Ship. I, I'm torn on those Ooh. two. Oh, I do like the Inquisitor one, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good... I think it's a real mixed bag, though, right? Um, the, it started to lose it a bit in the later seasons for me, and so... There's kind of there's a bunch of iconic episodes that are really fantastic. Yeah. Uh, what's the one where they all go into um, Better Than Life? I think it was just called Better Than Life. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, really that, like, that was really that like was that. really early. Like after season six, and they took that massive break. Like part of me's like, I tried to watch part of it, and it's like, no, guys, you don't make a British science fiction thing successful by giving it money. Look what, uh-huh. look what happened yeah. when they gave Doctor Who money. Don't give Doctor Who money. Keep them poor. They work harder. Yeah, it's it's true. The I think they were trying harder. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, that was a good tangent. That, that that was our Dan time tangent for us to expand into our world and you know restart the tension. Um, so you you must have had a pretty serious history in games. Where did you get started? Okay, so uh, like a lot of people, started with Dungeons and Dragons. Um, nice. Back in primary school, actually, it was ten years old, and a new kids showed up at school with the red box, and I'd never heard of any anything like this. And we started playing in our lunch breaks, uh, and I, yeah, I got hooked. Um, I, th- I think for a long time I didn't know that there was anything other than Dungeons and Dragons, and then I started stumbling upon more and more games over time. Uh, so like Rifts and Shadowrun and what have you Uh, and then so I went to university Mm -hmm. and at uni our our student society the role playing society had a regular LARP that it did Um, so it's like every week uh, there would be like a social LARP not not a rubber swordy type LARP okay and I think that has really shaped 
where I've come from because it's so different from those other games I mentioned, which are, at least when I was running them, were mostly about kind of fighting and problem solving. And these were all about talking and people. Um, and every year, the other thing that it's shaped is my my feeling that anyone can do this because every year there would be a new game would come out of the society when i showed first showed up people were playing in some sort of fantasy game a short while after that a brand new game started that was being run by students and had been written by students that was uh kind of like shadow run but if you were playing the corporates uh and then a year after that i started my game which was um called colony and was about uh, a space colonization project gone wrong i i just so want to say you need shadow run but you're the corporates that could be a real fun game yeah so and it was again it's a larp right so you're yeah. not um doing like jobs or what have you it was more like uh you're all kind of playing these sort of semi-political figures in this corporate landscape mm. um and trying to beat the other corporations politically in effect oh that'd be fun yeah that that, yeah, that yeah. is a, that is I, a one-off so. thing and like you know that that would be i i can see some potential fodder there for like some really really juicy you know after game drinks mm-hmm. like moments where you go I mean, did, why did you do that like just unpacking someone's motivations would be so much fun and that was definitely like a big part because you, you'd have like 20 people or up to maybe uh, 40 people playing this thing at a time. And then, like you say, you go to go to the pub afterwards or you're hanging out at the board games night and everyone's got something to talk about because they're all playing the same game. So it creates an amazing social atmosphere. Mm. Very uh, unusual time in my life but um something i look back on very fondly and it's it's really shaped my feeling that like if you can walk in as a person who's never designed a game before and run a game for that many people writing a a tabletop game feels like a piece of cake by comparison (laughs) that's not entirely fair because the mechanics are much more complicated but you know it's given me some confidence i I think one of the things that's given me hope is um you know, Grant Howard and Honey Heist and that kind of thing. Like, the, the simplicity mm. with which he designs his games is at once infuriating and equal parts inspiring. Because you could play Honey Heist without a character sheet almost. Yeah. Like, all you'd need to know are, like, three words. And it's like, okay, you have a role, this is your job, and here are the three words that define who you are. And I think a lot of the time that's all you really need. To, to define a character. But I mean, I think it's a fundamental truth of role-playing that what makes role-playing interesting is what you as players, and I'm including the GM in that, bring to the table. You know, it's, it's not like reading a book or watching a movie where most of it is coming from the thing that you're watching or reading. It's coming from you. And, and the best thing that a game designer can do is to help you to unlock your creativity because you're going to make a much better story at the table um than i can possibly make for you i there's a lot of um there's a lot of different attitudes to the gm and part of me wonders if it's a system thing um i haven't played anywhere near enough different systems and everything like i haven't played a, a powered by the apocalypse game yet i want to one day 
but I haven't yet. And I kind of wonder if you look at different systems, would you see a different that different GMing style? Like in some games that I've seen run, like the GM is God King of the World. And part of me is like, look, there, there, there are games where that could work. I don't know if I'd want to play those games because I am... I'm not an inveterate rule breaker, but I do love to see at which point they snap and how far you can bend them because that's that's fun too. Hmm. Yeah, I mean so so I haven't played as a GM as God King for quite a long time. Uh, I certainly have <laughs> have done that before. I think it puts a lot of pressure on the GM really and encourages <laughs> uh, a sense of we're all coming to the table for you, the GM, to entertain us with your grand vision, um, which could be brilliant, um, but it's it is hard work, and it also fails to use a resource that's there for you at the table. Those other players, you know, they've all got amazing ideas. I've never met a role player who didn't have amazing ideas if you give them the opportunity to, to ex- <clears throat> excuse me to express them. Um, and you see this. I don't know if you've ever played. Have you ever come across a game called Microscope? Uh, no, I haven't. Well, I, I'm going to recommend that to you. Okay. Um, Microscope is a history-building game, okay? Um, so you, what you do is you take turns to create, like, some big event in an epic history. And you can travel backwards and forwards along your timeline and introduce more events. Uh, so you're gradually building up, in effect, a universe that you have created. Um, so you could create, in effect, your idea of what, Uh, an epic fantasy world could be and all of the grand historic events that have happened in that timeline i have heard of this Mm. sorry i i apologize i i think i heard about it through like someone like shut up and sit down because they've mentioned this kind of thing And, and that does sound like that that almost sounds like the kind of game where you could get kids to sit down in a rainy afternoon and say right go Definitely. I mean, my experience of role-playing with kids is you have to st- stop them from generating creative stuff. They're just like, you know, they're so open about it. Um, but what I love about Microscope is that all of the pe- people who maybe have spent uh, time thinking only the GM's allowed to create, it gives you permission. And in fact, it forbids players from kind of talking over each other. When it's your go, it is your go. You get to create something. And without fail, people come up with the most amazing stuff. Um, and you end up with... I've never played a game of that where people didn't come out going, oh, I really want to play a campaign set in this world now. Can, can we do that? Yeah, so, that, 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 that sounds think, cool. But that, 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 it almost sounds like the kind of thing you should throw in at the beginning of like so many different... Um, you know, when you're sitting down to like session zero and say, right, what, what do we all want in say you know our our game's universe okay people we're going to spend an afternoon doing this i'll put the kettle on i'll i'll gm the 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 campaign or the mini campaign or whatever and then you guys tell me what you're after and that that is basically how i like to gm it personally right and I know not everybody likes that, which is why there is a, a standard setting in Last Fleet, but there is a sort of alternate option, um, which is my preference, to be honest, hmm. um, where it takes you through step by step 
the decisions that you need to make to create your world. So what was this civilization that's been destroyed? Let's decide a bit about that. Uh, okay, now, who are these bad guys who've come along and destroyed it? Are they uh, an extra-dimensional di fungus, or are they robots? Are they demons? You know, you, you get to decide, and um, uh, always really interesting to see what people come up with. We're just in the middle of uh, an actual play series with the UK Indie League that I'm oh, part of. That's cool. got Grant Howitt in it, as a matter of fact. Um, so, sorry, that's how you... So it's Grant Howitt is also part of the UK Indie League, oh, just, cool. as you mentioned him. So we're, we all kind of uh, go to conventions and sell each other's games, basically. Um, we're also trying out this actual play thing together. And they've come up with this weird kind of mirror universe where uh, as soon as people experience faster than light travel, they start entering this weird mirror universe where uh, copies of people are showing up, and uh, but they're evil and uh, yeah it's stuff that would never have occurred to me to to come up with and now there it is we've like basically created this amazing setting for our game and that's you know last fleet will help you to do that it will obviously anyone can make up a world but it will help you to kind of break it down and make sure that the things you're creating are going to work with the system that you're going to play okay i'm thinking that's what i'm going to do with my next D campaign is I'm just going to get my players together and say, right, um, I'm not going to create a damn thing mm. in our session zero. All I need to know from you is your v lines and veils. Um, I only heard about that recently, and I think it's a really, really good way of like you know, ensuring player safety, consent, all that kind of thing. And they're just saying, okay, I'm also going to slide a copy of this on the table. You guys got an hour. You tell me the world you want to be in. And after that, I'll bring something in. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see awesome. you guys for cake and tea after. Cheers. Bye. It's it's really good fun way to play. So, yeah, I, um, I, hope, you, I hope you do it. It'll be great. <laughs> I, I think I will do that because that sounds fun. Oh, bum. That's me kneeing the desk. Um, so, so you're, you're, you said your experience is the red box. Mine was as well. In my case, it was my older brother. He got me started in this mess. Um, you, you designed this game, as we said. You said Battlestar Galactica. There's the, you know, the, the idea of lack. What have you been playing at the moment, though? Have you been playing primarily this to playtest it, or is there other stuff going on in your life, game-wise? Yeah, so, I, I mean, playtesting takes up a lot of time, uh, but I try to make as much time as I can for playing other games. Uh, most recent one I've played that wasn't this is The Warren. Uh, just started a campaign of The Warren, so it's another PBTA game uh, where you play rabbits. Uh, it's like Watership Down, the role-playing game, I guess. Okay, sorry. I, I, oh, God, you're British. You'd remember this. Um, do you remember that series... Um, when it was that series, that um, set of animals that had to, like, where they lived was being developed. Oh, it was, oh it was a, it was the a, animals of Farthingwood? Thank you, yes. That was horrifying. Yeah. Oh, I know. And it is funny how you think, oh, this is going to be cute animals. And it's like, oh, my God, what am I seeing here? They're, throwing, so they're throwing babies onto thorns and the birds are pecking their eyes out. Suitable for eight-year-olds. Yeah, seems totally appropriate to me. Um, so anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're playing these rabbits in this ski resort. Uh, we're all happily living in our mountain warren, and they built a ski resort on top of it. And 
yeah, it's pretty weird. I've never played the Warren before. Uh, it's a bit strange. Uh, I've nearly my my rabbit has nearly died in session one, so Oof. I'm not sure how long she's going to last. Close call. Um, and 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 sorry, I probably should have asked this a bit before now. You said you have made other games with your partner. Um, what were the other games? Can people buy these? Are, they, are these available through Black Armada? Yeah, so our website is blackarmada.com. Uh, you can find a whole bunch of our stuff there. We, we've got like three games that are of your kind of typical big book, biggish book um, variety, and a bunch of smaller stuff. <laughs> so the big game that we wrote together is Lovecraft Ask. Uh, and what Lovecraft Esque does is exactly the, the conversation we've just been having about um, getting the people around the table to create stuff, right? So it's a, it's it's uh, it's creating stories that are like something Lovecraft could have written but didn't. So you know how it, I don't know if you've actually read any Lovecraft or just played Lovecraftian games. So you you know all the kind of monsters that you get in like Call of Cthulhu, uh, the Mygo, the Deep Ones. Cthulhu, they're each from a single Lovecraft story that he would have written, and it'll be a short story. And in a typical Lovecraft story, you have one person, and that person is isolated alone, and they stumble upon this weird world that they never suspected existed that turns out to be totally terrifying and inimical to human life, and eventually end the, the story completely in despair because they realize that the universe is inherently hostile to them, right? Um, and so what you can do is write a brand new Lovecraft short story um, where you invent a new monster that is completely different from what he came up with, um, and you do it together. And the, what I love about the game is it allows you to play through what is basically a mystery story and none of you know what the truth is until right at the end. Even though you're all contributing to it, you, you won't know what's really going on until the very end of the story. Would it be possible to, say, combine that with, like, the Ten Candles? Um, mm. Yeah, I don't... Like, I've read Ten Candles, haven't played it. Um, so I don't know quite how you would mix them together, but it has a similar sort of feel in that there is an inevitable spiral towards a horrible ending. What, what, what I'd like about that is like, okay, everyone's got three things that they could potentially say remove from this universe. Or sorry, three things that they value in this universe. And if a player needs to do something, they could burn or, or they want to stop something. You have some kind of roll off or competition or something. And then they take one of the defeated players things and they burn it. It's like, this thing that you loved is gone. I do love the burning. That is fun. Um, although it's actually stopped me from playing the game because I want to play it at my local club, but we play it in like a church hall. And I just don't think that they would want us setting fire to stuff in there, even though they must do that every Sunday, probably. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say, I mean, as, as far as buildings that, you know, where you chant in odd languages and light candles, I mean, they'd probably think, oh, you guys holding a service? Great. Good. Cool. Yeah, until they find out what it is and we get chucked out. <laughs> if, if it helps, um, I, I, I am a churchgoer. I'm a person of faith. I'm pretty okay with it. Um, I am slowly introducing more and more people to things like Dungeons and & Dragons and roleplay games. But what I'm finding is a lot more of them are really okay with it. 
Mm. Like I'm finding. I mean, there's not there's there's nothing inherently wrong with it. Is it? It's not like you really believe in the stuff that you play in uh, in the game. It's, no, I, I believe mind flayers are really out there. They're all out to get us. <laughs> yeah, it's telling you something deep about human nature, maybe. Yeah. Yes, fascists are around the corner. Let's look out for them. Um, I, I am admittedly going over your, um, your your website now. You've got a bunch of little games here as well that people can have a look at. Um, yeah. If you had to pick one or two of these little games that you'd say, look, here's, here's an afternoon, knock it out. Because admittedly, the, the game Farmtopia... Animal Farm was my favourite between 1984 and, and Animal Farm. Of those two, all will works. Um, I actually thought Animal Farm was better because he didn't... I thought the relationship between Winston and the girl character, whose name I can't remember because I'm an idiot, it felt very pushed, but Animal Farm felt more of a pure kind of text, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, so what, is, what, what is Farmtopia about? Farmtopia I wrote a long time ago. Um, it is basically Animal Farm, the role-playing game. Uh, you each play either an animal, mm. or you might play, play a small collection of animals. Um, it's just a fun thing that you can do where you play a flock of geese, say. Um, and you're going to overthrow the farmer. So it, as I recall, it's a long time since I've played this game. As I recall... It's built into phases. So there's a phase where the, the farmer is in charge and you're kind of all feeling pissed off with it. And then you kind of have a bit of downtime where the overthrow happens. And then mm-hmm. yeah, there's a phase where the animals are in charge and we've worked out from that kind of downtime phase who's actually come to be in, in charge of the farm now and explore how that's not very satisfactory either. And then maybe you overthrow them as well. Nice. Um, so, I imagine geese would be great. I mean, they'd be wonderful egalitarians because, uh, from what I hear, um, geese are untitled. Ha 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 ha! I only just got that. I was like, "Where's yeah. he going with that?" <laughs> I'm not proud yeah, of myself, well, I mentioned Josh. The geese. Let's be honest. I'm really not. It's... <laughs> geese are surely zeitgeisty, right? Come and come and buy my game. It's got geese in it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, actually, that's what you should tell it. That's what you should like. You should make like an expansion, Farmtopia, the geese, the goose game, the, yes. the, the goose expansion. I don't know. Yeah, you just go around being really annoying the, to all the other animals. The entitled goose game. A. A. Josh, go on, make it happen. Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm a bad person. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, I, th- I think the thing that it, I remember about Farmtopia is that the, the whole game mechanics are based around democracy. So you kind of actually vote on whether someone should succeed, and each oh, person no. has to kind of stand up and make their case as to why they should succeed in this situation, <sighs> what traits they have that would allow them to win, and then you hold a vote. So this this <laughs> sounds this sounds like punch up the game. That's that's going to lead to some amazing conversations. I like that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So yeah, that's that's a really old game of mine. Um, We 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 are writing. We kind of we went through a period of writing lots and lots of small games, and then things like Lovecraft Desk and Last Fleet kind of sucked up all the time. So we've now set ourselves up a Patreon, um, so that we kind of have a nudge to get back into those small games because we do really enjoy a bit of a, 
you know, it's like a focus game that you can play in an afternoon and that will deliver a particular experience. And we're, we're doing a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I will confess, it's something I've wanted to kind of do is like just play lots of little games because like D and D's great. You know, it's it's a really good functional system, but it's like, look, this is going to take you a good solid eight hours, two, three nights. And, and organizing that in today's world is insane. Um, but like good little games, those can be that you knock out in a couple of hours. They're great. So and totally it's, like, agree. it's like three or five dollars I can see to, to support your patron to get access to that really cool content. Yeah, so three dollars will get you a game every month. Um, so you pay three dollars a month, you get a game every month, and uh, or sometimes it'll be a supplement for one of our other games. But usually, it's a standalone game. Uh, if you if you don't fancy kind of committing to that kind of expense, the games do come out. You see they're on the website. So about mm. three months after we've released them to our patrons, we'll put them up on Itch and on our website. So excellent, and you can browse through our back catalog wonderful so um your your kickstarter coming like circling back slightly um yeah. that has got how many days left as of us talking right now it must be a bit under a 13 nights so it's the it's friday the 31st is when it closes uh at i think it's 9 p.m uk time so wherever you are in the world you can work it out Good policy, trust me. <laughs> Here's the time. After that, you figure it out, and and make yeah. sure you, make sure you pick a time and date converter that takes daylight savings into account. If that's something your country's doing right now, like, totally. Like um, Josh didn't. <laughs> um. Uh, so yeah, sorry. it's it's got a couple of weeks to go. Um, we're, we're just about past the halfway mark. That's great. And and what what is the next stretch goal? I mean, you said yeah, getting Gavthorpe. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I was excited about that, um, and I'm excited about the next one. So we've got uh, Joanna Pian Castelli, who is a friend of mine. Um, she won the Golden Cobra Award for LARP writing. They have an annual competition. Oh. Um, so in fact, I think she's the first winner of that, if that memory serves, for a game called Unheroes, where you play. Uh, I think you basically play ordinary people who realise that they're actually amnesiac superheroes, like partway through the game. Sorry, spoilers. Um, you realise partway through the game that you're amnesiac superheroes and that you've got to kind of fix the world with your superpowers. That's cool. I, I actually submitted a thing to Golden Cobra like a couple of years ago or whatever. It was called um, cool. In the End There Was Kindness. and oh, Nice title. Thank you. Um, and the idea of it was that you would... You essentially play people from far, far in the future of humanity, discussing the apocalypse which took part a long, long time ago. And a large part of this would be going around to people and saying to them, hey, how would you picture the end of the world? Like, wh what do you think is going to happen? And so you'd have, like, say, you know, five or six people. And so you get five or six different perspectives on even if they're completely different things. Hmm. And then you'd sit down somewhere with the other, you know, people you're playing with. Oh, and you'd, you'd always have them end with, but in the end, there was kindness. Um, and 
you, you would sit down with the other people and you'd play these recordings and then you'd have to make a story which brought all of that together somehow. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And at the end of it, you'd say, but in the end, even when we are at the end of what we are as people, there is kindness. That's a much more optimistic take than typical post-apocalyptic fare, isn't it? Um, I like well, it. yeah, but you've got to have hope. Because what, what are we without it? <laughs> I think we could do with more games that um, have a, a bit of a hopeful angle on human nature. We're, we're all into our kind of bleak, dark stories, but um, it is fun yeah. to have something that's a bit less grim. We, we are somewhat side-casting anyway, on that. <laughs> no, no, stop being serious. Um, so uh, Joanna is writing, uh, assuming we make it to £13,000, she will write... A, a new module for the game which will cover uh, the military hierarchy in more detail and because obviously uh, this is a game that quite frequently features a strong military hierarchy as part of the a part of play so she's going to look at uh, you know what what it's like to be somebody who obeys that hierarchy and what it's like to be someone who does not nice yeah, really cool. I look forward to seeing what she does with that. She's, uh, I know uh, Joanna has played uh, in a LARP recently, which could easily have been Last Fleet the LARP uh, Odyssey. <laughs> so it's, like, it's one of these big kind of large-scale LARPs where you actually get to be on a mocked-up spaceship and stuff. I'm super jealous that she gets to do this stuff. Um, and so I think she's got some pretty clear ideas about what makes a good how to bring military hierarchy into play in a way that's going to create cool stories. So I'm looking forward to that. Sounds great. Now, um, Josh, before you go, there's one thing that I um, I, I started to kind of bring in this year, because I think it's actually a really important thing for us to talk about. You are currently probably working on several projects at once. Yeah, um, you have true. a partner and a, a small person in your house as well. Two. Two small people. Yeah. Would you, was it, did, did I tell you that or did you hear the noises in the background? Um, I could hear the noises in the background and there is a picture of you, your partner and one of your small people on your website. Uh, there we go. Yes. Yeah. Um, I imagine you've got a lot of stuff going on in your life. Yeah. How do, you, how do you keep yourself okay? Do you mean mental health wise? Everything. I, I think, and it's something that it, it kind of has occurred to me because I'm now doing way too much with my life, but a lot of it is by my choice because, you know, I'm a twit and I can't stop. Um, but I think mental and physical health are wonderfully linked. And I think we're always playing people who, even if they're flawed, sometimes have great muscles or amazing intellects or are very, very strong and powerful. And it's like, yeah, that's great, but what are we doing to just make sure we're okay? So, so, Josh, so, what, what do you do? I, I, that is something I'm really conscious of. Um, as you say, doing a huge amount of stuff, and I think uh, we're, we're under a lot of pressure to kind of m produce and, you know, kind of be constantly engaged with the world to the maximum extent possible. Um, what, what I have done is I've almost kind of built my life around having um discrete blocks that of of activity that keep me 
uh, sane. So I, I work part time. That's one thing that I do. Um, I knew I was going to be having kids. And I'd actually, we, me and my partner had said some way in advance that we both wanted to get time with the children. Um, and so we both work part time now instead of having one person who's looking after the kids the whole time and one person who's earning, um, we're sharing it. And uh, what that means in part is I get a really nice balance between the day job, uh, which would otherwise be a kind of five day a week grind and hmm. other stuff, the children, the creative, you know, role playing design, game design. Um, and that's that is really important to me because um, I think no matter how busy you are, if you are able to change streams from time to time, then it's less hard to cope. If you're doing one thing all the time, it's more exhausting, I think. Hmm. I don't know if that's what you meant, but that's anyway, that's my answer. <laughs> no, my, my, my question is, what do you do to make sure you stay human and don't explode? Um, you know, figurative or literally. And I like the idea of saying, well, I do different stuff because that uses different muscles. That's that's it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I have a, a very busy life, but hopefully the different parts of it are using different muscles that's a great way of putting it yeah. can i can i share a thing with you that i used to help me kind of like do stuff to, to yeah please and and someone gave this to me and and i can't thank that person enough he said i need to remove the word busy because busy implies work and activity i'm replacing it with the word productive because that means i'm getting a result i'm not spending time i'm investing time and I really like that perspective. So I am. That's all yeah, yours thank you. <laughs> I mean, uh, in many ways, I think I am too productive. I, I think we sometimes need to give ourselves permission not to be productive and to just say, you know what? I'm just going to spend some time on the sofa, feet up, reading a good book, watching, watching my favorite TV show and what have you. I think um, we could probably stand to do more of that sometimes. Um, but I do, I, I just, I get such a kick out of creating um, that I probably can't follow my own advice there. <laughs> no, that's, look, we're never going to follow all of our own advice. We're not perfect. But I mean, you know, you've got people in your, you know, you've, you've got love in your life and you've got joy in what you do. And I mean, my friend, can you ask much more than that? Definitely not. Yeah. Beautiful. Josh, um, thank you very, very much for coming on. Um, I'll be well, releasing this you. as like almost like a bonus kind of thing because um, I, I saw your project. I, I wanted to, in, in some small way, help out. And so people listening to this, you got two episodes of Better Homes and Dungeons this week rather than one because that's just how I function. <laughs> nice one. Well, I, I appreciate you inviting me on. I've enjoyed it. No, Josh, it, it's been a pleasure. And I, I want to... I, I do want to make sure that we definitely keep up so that, you know, we, with the next things that you're doing, because I, I like the idea of a lot of what you've done with small games that you can play in a small amount of time, because those make stories that retain, that people retain for the, the rest of their lives. And that's important shit. Cool. Thank you. There is. Excellent. Uh, you're going to let you get off to bed, I imagine. Ooh, at some but point before you do that, before you do that, people can find you at Black Armada, um, dot com i think it is 
That's right, yeah. So that's, that's where our blog and web store is. Um, if you want to talk to me on social media, I'm at Armada Josh. Uh, and if you would like to get into our secrets, cool, amazingly creative gaming club where we make stuff, aka our Patreon, uh, it is patreon.com slash black armada i think cool um excellent and you know people should go check out last fleet rpg on kickstarter you know throw it i believe it's for, for one pound you get uh, you get the updates and you get a credit and you get the draft rules which is pretty cool uh there is a 10 and 15 pound uh tier i believe you have where ten pounds is the look. If you're not, if you, if if stuff's a bit tough right now, and let's be honest, a lot of people are finding it difficult to, you know, fund good stuff. Sorry, dude. I I, I got two of them too. I can edit this out. If <laughs> if people are finding it difficult to to find the money, they they can you know save a couple of bob, as you Brits say, um, and 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 you know get their hands on a really really cool game for. A really, really reasonable kind of pricing. Totally. Although I have to say, um, the guys who may may are going to be making this book uh, are printers. They make a, a gorgeous physical product. So if you can afford uh, to pay for the physical thing, and we have a hardship tier for that as well. So like for twenty quid, you can get the hardback book. It's going to be a really beautiful object to have on your shelf. I would have thought all your ships would be hard ships. Uh-huh. Well, uh, oh, man. I could have used that for naming the reward tiers. Damn it. There you go. There you go. Just just ask me next time it. and I'll, I'll come up with some... I'll come up with puns oh. that curl your, curl your toes backwards. Um, and, I will and, put and, you and in my Rolodex. <laughs> bad pun guy. Um, I, of course, am also Josh... Um, and I do this podcast. I can be found at Nerdy People D and D. Please check out the two real play campaigns that we're running. One is Curse of Strad, but he's a railway baron, and it's got like steampunk stuff. And the other is Cobalt Press's Tales of the Old Margrave. Um, Josh, again, a pleasure. Cheers. <laughs>